I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter, and I run Hip Hop by the Numbers on X, where I use hip hop statistics to heart the bigger picture. I almost forgot it then. Boo. He's waning. Nitro to the fifth element. Wahala at the fifth element hip hop. It's knowledge. And. You never know. What we're talking about on this episode. Until about 15 minutes in. Hi Ben, how's your week been? What have you been this week? 15 minutes, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can last that long, Charlie. <laughs> I got a good couple of minutes of talking about music in me. Hi. Real Boston, Richie, uh, welcome to, I think it's, a, well, welcome to Bubble Land. Um, look man, I, I really like Real Boston, Richie's project from last year that he did a deluxe this year. Uh, it's like an hour and a half and I have been listening to it pretty much non-stop all year. I don't know, you know, I don't plan to go back to albums. I just tend to go back to albums and I go back to this one. I don't know why, but this one, Welcome to Bubbleland, I did not enjoy very much. I felt like, I don't know, there's just, I feel like when rappers have get a little bit more success, then they just try to recreate that success by sounding like every single other successful rapper with, you know, guitar, poppy, pop rappy beats and the lyrical content is you know it's decent but i feel like he's getting a little bit more frustrated there's a little bit more misogyny in here i don't know man just didn't this it's okay but like i really like we were boston richie i don't talk about it very much but i really do and this was a little bit disappointing for me so yeah i'm not sure i have not checked out his this his entire discography i literally just like his last album so i don't know maybe i maybe his last album was an anomaly and this is normal but yeah anyway it wasn't wasn't my favorite it was okay uh m huncho dropped uh my neighbors i've got to keep clicking spotify just show me the whole thing my neighbors don't know yeah it's interesting i have never really listened to m huncho that much um, I did a little bit of research on him, and he's got the mask on, and no one actually knows who he is, which I think is is pretty interesting. And he sings a lot on here. It's actually quite a nice album. There's a couple of drill beats, but yeah, it's it's, it's fascinating. It's quite chill at times. It's quite laid back at times, but then other times it's very frenetic and and a lot of intense energy. So I I enjoyed it quite a lot. I didn't know what to expect, um, but I've gone back to it a couple of times, and yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, what else have we got here? Thirty Eight Special. Conway, the machine, special machinery. The thing that I was terrified of was that Special was once again just going to produce the beats. And you know, you know, I like Conway, but he's my least favorite of uh, Griselda aside from Amani Caesar. But Special is on here, and I'm not going to lie to you, I just tune Conway out. I it was fascinating. I listened to it when I was going for a run. It's quite short, so I got through it twice while I was running. I could not tell you anything Conway rapped about. Obviously, I just zoned the fuck out and was just waiting on a knife edge for Spesh to come in. Bro, I cannot just express how much I love this man as a rapper. Just incredible bars, great storytelling. He just gets better every time. He steals the show every single time. And the, the project's decent. Like, I don't think it's amazing. I don't think it's Spesh's best work. And you would think a Spesh and Conway album would be really genuinely fucking great. But yeah, man, I thought Conway is sleepwalking a little bit through this, and Special was on point. Special was on point. The beats are interesting. Is you know we've talked about this. I've talked about this multiple times. How Special is going in a lot of different directions as a producer, and I just feel like he's just casting a very wide net and trying to create all these different sounds until he finds his his sound. But I also think that because he's producing for so many different artists and creating entire albums for them, I think he's trying to figure out that you know that relationship and that connection how do i create the perfect production for you for conway for flea lord for el camino for whoever he's producing for and i think he's getting better and better at it and i'm just happy to be along for the ride so i definitely recommend checking that out uh tizo touchdown dropped how do you sleep at night i very much dislike this album i think it is horrible all the things that people said about the yachty album um that it's just basic and and lame and idiots will like it because it's the like most entry level psych rock ever 
all of that is Tizo touchdown. But I have had so many people messaging me like, bro, you check out that new Tizo? And I'm like, yes, you liked it? And they're like, oh shit, it's amazing. I'm like, no, it's not. It's garbage. It's unlistenable. I got like seven songs in and I'm like, dear, oh dear, what the fuck is this? The singing is horrible. The lyrics are horrible. The beats are boring. It's for me anyway, personally, I'm sure a lot of people love it. You know, I did really disliked it. I never, ever want to listen to it again. I didn't really know what to expect. I genuinely was thinking we were going to get, I don't know, like a an Uzi type album or like a, a, a Thugger type album. No, 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 no. It's, it's, yeah, not for me, not for me. Uh, Irreversal Entanglements, shout out Charlie for uh, rinsing me in the chat by saying I didn't know that More Mother had a jazz project. I enjoyed this a lot. I haven't listened to it enough yet because I've had a very hectic week. It has not been a pleasant, calm week, So, and I'm very irritable. So every time I put this on, I've got like five tracks in, and I'm like... This is gonna this is gonna hit so hard when I'm in a bit of headspace, but right now it is just not 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 doing it for me. So maybe I'll talk about it again next week after I I, I foresee a chiller week this week. Um, but yeah, man, I'm I'm excited to dive into that. And Buju Banton dropped Born for Greatness, and it's nice. It's very nice. You just put it on, just sit it there, forget about it, and just vibe to it. Um, just yeah, does not miss this. This album is brilliant. So. Yeah, that was me, Charlie. How about yourself? So I started off with uh, Afro, uh, A-F-R-O, with the dashes between uh, Afrodisiac, get it? Uh, or Af- Yeah, E-A-C, yeah. Uh, Louis P, five tracks, uh, nice quick ting. I just like him. He's, he's, he's very... Um, he doesn't take things too seriously. Um, I, I like the creativity he brings all the time and... Uh, yeah, this is just a nice project, man. This is a really good project. Love the production here. Really solid, really crispy. Um, and yeah, man, you just uh just 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 fun. It's like a nice fun uh how long is it? Thirteen minutes, nearly fourteen minutes. Come and go, a little bit of fun. It's good, man. It's a good vibe. So shout out Afro. Uh Ooh, did I say? Did I do that next? Okay, alright. Uh, Special and uh, Conway. Hey. Special machinery. Hey. Um, don't want you saying that like you like things out the or anything. But um, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's cool. It's cool. It's solid. Um, I like the especially the features. I like I like a couple of features on here. I feel like uh, been through the Camino is pretty clean. Been on Goodfellas like uh, we outside at the end there with uh, Farrah Munch and uh, Shane Noir. Yeah, Faramonch was amazing. Uh, but yeah, man. Yeah, I think um, I think being through Special Machinery and Fireplace, uh, that that free track stretch was just really just a great set of uh, great set of tracks there. Really enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, man, I feel like everybody put their work in, so can't complain about that. Really solid work by all. Uh, the good people, a good year. Um, first track is. So locked into my songs of the year list. Um, I fucking adore <laughs> making moves so much. Um, and this, I mean, the whole the whole song's good. It's a good song, but um, just that sample, man. If you if you're it, when people just do the samples of like, there's no hook, but the hook is literally just like a looped sample of a song. I don't know why. It's so it, it's it's basic, but I fucking love it. So they basically just uh, do the. Make a moves ya, moves ya, on and on and on. Jack it, jack it out to the break of break of dawn. They just loop that from the scenario remix, and it just, oh, it, it goes so nice. It goes so nice. Good people, really good stuff. Um, funny enough, um, oh god, the rhymes, crazy. The scheme I got going. Um, <laughs> it's a really good album overall. Uh, Bobby J from Rockaway, McCabe and Moon Cycle, and how I feel. Good features there. Um. I was at one. Oh, 23 followers is a good track. Um, just conceptually, just how they basically just talked about you know them them fans. You know what I mean? Where they're just always locked in, and they pick the number 23. I don't know if there's symbolism for them on that front, but yeah, it's a really it's a really light higher track. The fat lacing, really good one as well. Um, but yeah, some some good stuff in here. I think uh, I think the only track I didn't like was different builds. I think that was because of the. I think I think there was some uh, uh, less than enticing singing on it, but uh, yeah, that's just me. But yeah, man, shout out to the good people, man. I've I've uh, it's been it's been a while since I've heard them. Um, so I remember liking their album 
the Greater Goods from a couple of years ago, and uh, they always do some good stuff, so shout out to them. I wish they dropped more. Uh, Irreversible Entanglements, Protect Your Lights. Um, I wouldn't say it is as uh, frenetic as their previous projects, which uh, is probably their most, this is probably their most digestible project. Um, and I say that considering that they also have, you know, Who Sent You, which um, um, is also about 40-ish minutes, um, but also their, I think they're, was there, oh no, they're all 43 minutes, okay, right. Um, but yeah, the, this one is uh, much more edible, I feel. Um, it's, there's a lot of chill moments here. Um, it kind of starts, Free Love definitely is, you know, more that frenetic pacing that I expect, but, you know, Protect Your Light is nice. Our land back, really powerful lyrics from War Mother in that one. Uh, Root Branch, beautiful. Celestial Pathways, beautiful. Um, it's it's a, it's really good albums, really good albums. Shout, shout out to Irreversible Entanglements. One of the one of the more random um, acts I've seen live, but I'm very glad that I have because um, that was a very interesting experience. Uh, Jamie Branch, Fly or Die, Fly or Die, Fly or Die, World War. Um, I'll just call it Fly or Die Free for the sake of time. Um, but yeah, this is um, the out the long-awaited uh, posthumous album, or semi-posthumous album. Um, this was in the works um, as Jamie Branch um, died uh, last year. And um, the good people that at International Anthem and uh, just everyone involved in this project um, obviously put in the work and uh, helped finish the rest of this album. And um, I haven't got the details of the people involved, um, but there's so much good moments. There's so many good moments in here. Um, just a beautiful tapestry of work um, and a very fitting, a very fitting uh, semi-posthumous project uh, for Miss Jamie Branch. Um, her trumpet skills will be missed dearly. Um, just how... Uh, I've said this before, but um, she has this... Uh, the way she plays has this sense of apocalyptic... has an apocalyptic nature to it. Um, I said, I think, when, uh, when I listened to one of the Antelope projects that... It sound it that especially sounded like music I would hear if the world was ending, because um, it just seemed so dark um, and ominous. Um, but there's some I think there's some more there's some more hopeful notes in this particular uh, album. The mountain is a very very interesting lyrical uh, uh, kind of like I don't know uh, kind of like this. Uh, Kind of old country, old American country kind of thing going on. Um, but it's nice. It's a really nice um, breakup for the album, especially. Uh, Borealis Dancing, beautiful piece of work. Uh, Take Over the World, very powerful. Very good album. Very, very good album. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And lastly, for, God, free free, free hip-hop and free jazz. Go me. To this, uh, I'll stay in a week for me. Um, use of days, black classical music. I probably should have told you about this as well, Ben. To be fair, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we got uh, our Venna's all over here. Shout out to Venna. Um, Shabaka Hutchings on Raisins Under the Sun. Tom Mish, uh, Chronics on Pondi Plaza. Beautiful feature there. Masego on Marching Band. Uh, Jamila Berry on Women's Touch. Uh, Jahan Sweet on Presidential. Uh, Crystal Palace Park with Elijah Fox um, and also Magnolia Symphony. Those are very noble tracks for me. Um, just some really good stuff all over here. Use of Days, um, noted drummer, uh, won the best in the game, and uh, he obviously keeps time with a lot of this, a uh, lot of this album. But yeah, man, there's uh, there's just so many, so many good moments uh, throughout this album. It's a very chunky album, I would say. It's a you know nearly a. Uh, nearly 75 minutes um but yes um it's a very very solid listen um and considering you know Ezra Collective won the Mercury Prize recently um shout out to them first jazz act to win the uh, Mercury Prize in its 31 year history um take that took way too long um I feel like uh, Moses Boyd's album should have got should have got a nod um a few years ago but here we are and uh, I say that to say if 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 jazz is finally going to win Mercury prizes, I feel like black classical music should be um, should be in the running for next year. Um, so uh, shout to shout to Yusuf Days, very solid piece of work. And when I said, I'll hop into, I well nearly did it, nearly got to fifteen minutes. By the way, nearly fucking. Oh, we're so close. Um, <laughs> you know what it's like, but that's a decent effort. I'm happy with that. 
I, I picked a number, nearly got it. But um, yes, we get, <laughs> you, you now know uh, if you didn't see the title, we're getting into uh, the collective, uh, the West Coast Collective Hieroglyphics. Um, obviously, we talked about Souls of Mischief a couple of episodes ago. Um, and in another couple of episodes, we will be talking about uh, Del the Funky Homo Sapien. Um, but yeah, for now, we get into the collective of hieroglyphics um, featuring the likes of Del and Souls of Mischief, among others. And uh, yeah, what have you got for us today, Ben? Yeah, so we kind of start this episode where we finish the uh, Souls of Mischief episode, which is friendship. You know, it's a topic that's pretty unique in its purity in music in a uh, world full of unethical business behavior designed to get ahead of everyone, friend or foe. So to sit here and speak about a three-decade friendship enduring at the height of the commercialization of rap music is genuinely refreshing. It really is. Now, Hieroglyphics began in Oakland, California, founded by Dale the Funky Homo Sapien, incorporating Souls of Mischief, whom we spoke about, uh, was it last week? A couple of weeks ago. Um, Casual, Domino, DJ Toure, host of others. Now, during an interview with Culture Crush, Souls of Mischief and Casual explained just how far the collective goes back. Casual said... This is how far we go back. Jai and I lived on the same street since elementary school. I made my first trade, barter, with Dell in kindergarten, and he was like a third grader, and it was an intimidating trade. It was Asteroids and Yars Revenge, two Atari cartridges. So we've got a long history. Atari. That predates me. So that's old, bro. I'm, I'm already. So Tajai said, we all grew up together played with toys together and were really brought together by hip-hop not just the music but graffiti beats and breakdancing all brought us together we all grew up playing whatever together <clears throat> we went to the same school but hip-hop drew us together and made it so that we're talking every single day then festo said also the time we grew up in was the 80s reaganomics and the crack cocaine era so hip-hop was looked at as definitely a positive alternative to that lifestyle it was really about defying these stereotypes that we were being portrayed as so opio spoke to westworld about how the group's 30-year friendship was first solidified and how they find their ways to each other and how the possibility of collaborations were open up he said it was a small community of people that was super passionate about hip-hop and within that small community was an even smaller community of people that were actually rapping and within that were even a smaller group of people who were any good by the time our first years of high school our passion separated us from our peers and we couldn't relate to anyone else we lived breathed ate and slept hip-hop we couldn't have those conversations with too many people you needed people that shared the passion and had the skill level and sophistication we had to have those kinds of philosophical conversations we did our demo tapes and this and that and it spread us around and that helped to inspire other people in our area and in our generation we were in our own world not knowing we were having this influence on other people so it's a little bit different to uh, a few of the collectives that we've covered so far where members tend to be added as they go rather than whittled down to the most talented few. I feel like some of the UK crews we spoke about during the JME and Skepta episodes kind of had that that quality, like big crews that kind of got whittled down over time. But something that's common in most of the collectives we covered is that they had a leader and someone seen as the creative compass of the group. Um, we haven't done Native Tongues or Aquarians yet, so I can't speak on those stories. I'm very fascinated to see if there was a leader that emerged during them, I'm sure Q-Tip was up there. Um, but, you know, there certainly seemed to be collectives without a leader, those two, without a definitive leader, um, more of a collective agreement. But Hieroglyphics had Dell. In an Uprox interview, he spoke of inspiration for the logo, uh, which he created himself, one of the most iconic images in hip-hop history. And he said... I was into I was into counterculture, 60s rock, hippie era, and funk. Um, I was into that because I was born in the 70s. I wanted something like that yellow smiley face, but the way I drew it with the third eye in the middle and a line instead of a smile, it indicated that you're concentrating. I'm into graphic design, and I wanted something simple like that. I doodled it on a napkin. And Dell, it was a very uh, adept um, visual artist as well. Like he he could draw, he could create. So Souls even told an interviewer that their continued success and longevity as touring artists is in part due to the logo because of how ubiquitous and recognizable it has become in hip-hop lore. And that Uproxx piece does a deep dive on the logo, even explaining that if you remove the circle around it, it becomes the Mayan numeral for eight, discovered in a book of hieroglyphics by A+. And in Mayan, eight means infinity and harmonious resonance. So it could really hardly be more fitting. I mean, there was just, they didn't, they didn't know that. A plus just found it after they created it. 
Uh, and I think it's an example of supreme branding. I don't mean like a box logo. I mean proper branding, not throwing money at a garbage design until everyone thinks it's cool. Hieroglyphics and especially Souls of Mischief were huge amongst the skate community. Their defining song, the title track to their 93 album, has soundtrack skateless, uh, skateless, countless skate videos. And so skaters, and by extension, the punk and alternative music scene started putting that logo on everything. Tajai said, it took on a different cultural significance, almost like a fight club. This counterculture club where if you knew about Hyro, you know, and I fucks with you, like the masonry or something, and people getting the tattoos were actually listening to the music. So Tajai has even said that it's kept the lights on for the entire collective since it began uh, its rise in popularity. He said, it's huge, it's our main thing, it's the main reason why we have money. Show money, there's nine of us, you can't do nine shows a day, but you can sell $1,000 of merch every day. It's become iconic, we've got fans worldwide and that's the thing, kids might not be old enough to go to a show, but they can definitely wear a t-shirt and you know uh on their most recent album they had a song about literally just about merch and about how cool their merch is and you know it's been an enduring thing for them their whole career and it helped the group continue to put out music worthy of the logo it's it's such a difficult thing to describe but to me the music feels right when like it just feels right i don't know why it just feels like the perfect expression of the sound that was coming out of the collective and the name is just as evocative and soul spoke to deborah shearer of culture clash and explained it was dell again who provided the name um he they said we were originally calling ourselves the mad circle so it's funny that our logo logo turned out to be circular he really got the name from some of our high school peers uh they fell off they were like we're not rapping anymore and we were like for real and so festo picks the story up and he says there was a rapper named hieroglyphics and he thought the name was whack and he didn't want it anymore. But maybe it was for him. But it fit It fit the group. It really did. So back to their story, it was Dell's connection with Ice Cube that set the whole thing up. You know, I said last week that Souls directly attributed their major label deal and thus their entire major label career or made mainstream career to Dell's relationship to Cube. And, I'm, you know, we're going to do Dell in a couple of weeks. Um, because he's a fascinating character in hip-hop and someone I don't have heaps of knowledge about and I I'd love to learn about him. Dell was signed first to Elektra and his debut album dropped the year Hieroglyphics officially formed. But you have to also remember 80s and very early 90s hip-hop was not really profitable at this point. You know, Jay-Z has said plenty of times in interviews and I think even in Decoded, I think he said it explicitly, rappers were looked down upon in the 80s and early 90s because it was not profitable outside of the few who were charting like MC Hammer or Vanilla Ice or Marky Mark, you know what I mean? They weren't struggling for a paycheck. Casual told Uproxx about being a rapper. It's a way to have an occupation, but you have to have something else to do outside of that. Like Tajai played football, and if you rapped, you had an occupation. And thankfully, Dell was writing for Ice Cube. He was signed by Elektra. Mr. Dobolina, classic, classic fucking song. Maybe the first rap song I personally ever heard. Um, I remember it back in the mid-90s when I would have been about seven or eight. Uh, and, you know, incredible fucking song. It blew the fuck up. It charted well in America, and people saw that Dell had something. Casual places this moment as the time hieroglyphics became more than plans and ideas. It became something solid, the foundation for Souls and Dell, and then everyone else to launch their respective careers from. And obviously, over time, they all came back to it. You know, that's what the beautiful thing about it was. So Dell's 93 album, No Need for Alarm, did poorly enough commercially for Electra to decide to drop him eventually. It's a long story. We'll get into it uh, in that episode. And that was a month before his third album was due to release, which is classy, typical major label. Um, some publications I've read point to the fact that hieroglyphics were more involved in pushing the sound into a direction that, whilst it wasn't commercially favorable, it fit the hiro sound perfectly, and that's why Electra was not keen on them. Um, but it almost unwittingly launched the group straight into their core fan base. So the group's first album didn't drop until 98, but between 91 and 98, we got three Dell albums, three Souls albums, and two from Casual, and this only further served to push the group into the collective consciousness and some collectives never drop an official project between them. You know, Soulquarians didn't, Native Tongues didn't. Uh, Black Hippie got mixtape, but they haven't dropped, like, they haven't sat down and been like, this is our album, you know? And they probably never will now, Black Hippie. Uh, but at least, you know, Hieroglyphics had, they were quite odd in, in that they waited until three of their acts were firmly established. A lot of the collectives we talk about who, they've, they've got group projects, they do it at the start. And then they just 
you know, splinter off and do their own thing. Hieroglyphics was not that at all. Um, they went away, they did their own thing, and then they came back. And there was a period from 98 to, what, 2007, 2008, where pretty much everyone just came back in and focused on Hiro stuff and then went their separate ways again. It's really fascinating. So with that said, uh, we get into their debut album, Third Eye Vision. Indeed. Um, and... I mean, it's a pretty freaking good start. It's not um, bad. I totally forgot You Never Knew was like... I didn't. Re- I actually didn't even clock it was a hieroglyphics track until I spun it. I was like, oh, this track! Because I've heard the beat so many times in like, you know, just just videos here and there, right? The YouTube video and just someone has it on the background or like, I don't know, some maybe here in a film or a TV show. I just hear that, you know, especially that, that sample, like, you never know. I've, I've, I hear that a lot of times, and I'm I never actually looked up what song fuck it was. Uh, and here we are, it's hieroglyphic track. So I was just like, oh, great fucking start, because now I know what song this is. <laughs> it's just is it's a perfect it's a perfect beginning. But um, yeah, man, it's a it's it's got some um, it's got some solid um, solid uh, starts in there. Um, oh, it's a fucking it's Patrice Russian. I should know that. That's disappointing. I should know that. Um, but yeah, shout out to Patrice Russian, the Queen. Um, but yeah, uh, you know this album's pretty solid. I think as collective albums go, I feel like this is a pretty good, I say, b- blueprint uh, for uh, making a collective album. Because um, I mean, even for one, the fact that they have several, I don't, I don't even want to call it. They're not interludes, but they're just like solo tracks with just their name on it. And it's exactly what you think it is. It's literally just that person. They've got their own track. They've got about, you know, 90 seconds. Uh, uh, yeah, about 90 seconds each on average yeah. uh, to do to do their thing. <clears throat> and they do their thing on that track. And then it just continues uh, moving on uh, to other tracks. And uh, it's pretty it's pretty freaking good. Um, you know, mics on the round table I like overall. Um uh, OPO and A pluses ones I like Dale's ones I like uh, that, that's pretty good uh, One Life One Love is good there's some, just, there's some good stuff all over here and uh, I, I feel I feel again the, the main takeaway I feel is that the blueprint of just the track sequencing I feel like is something that could easily be taken by somebody or, or like another collective and it, it it breaks things up nicely, I think. Um, definitely breaks things up. So you just have that, you know, just that one voice for a bit and you're just hearing them saying their stuff. And it also kind of makes, gives off that effort of um, having that thing that I said a few episodes ago where there's some groups where mm-hmm. if I don't... It, <laughs> where I, I Sometimes I just don't know who's talking. Like... <laughs> the, the, you know what I mean? It's 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 not um it's not a fucking it's not flat flatbush zombies. You know what I mean? Where everyone has a distinct voice, uh, for example, uh, it it can it can it can blend, and a lot of groups do have that. Just just they their voices just blend together sometimes. And I will be real. Uh, when it came to hieroglyphics, I was just like, okay, who's this again? Okay, yeah. who's this again? The same. Um, but when you have those breakup tracks where it just has casual, Tajai. Festo, A plus, Opio, Dell. It, it may, I mean, obviously Dell is probably the easiest one on this. Is <laughs> probably the only you know uh, notable one that I came out came into it with. I was just like, oh yeah, well yeah, I know, I know what I know what Dell sounds like, right? And I know in some ways what social souls of mischief what it sounds like. But even in even in that case, um, when we get to like the kitchen, they sound so different, um, and it's really, and it's really weird. Um, to to me anyway, to my eye, it just uh, to my ear, it feels. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm tripping. Maybe just me, but it, it seems it seems different. But we'll get to that when we get to that. But yeah, man, it's uh, I definitely definitely sequencing is a highlight for me. I feel like a lot of people can take lessons from that. No, I'm the same as you. I I actually think it's it's something all groups should do. Just have a solo track for each member, and then you immediately know. Oh, okay, that's that member, and then like every single time I mean, you're listening Method to it. Need I say more? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, well, I mean, we, we, yeah, we, we don't. But look, casual had been they dropped. Didn't from, need it, but I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wonder if they would have been better served doing that. I mean, 
maybe on their second album they could have done it on Wu-Tang Forever because they had so many songs on there just maybe the second half of the album anyway anyway that's hypothetical maybe it's a biased topic one day uh so Third Eye Vision Casual had been dropped from Jive after his debut album Souls were off Jive uh Dell was off Electra and it feels perfect that this would be the first time to drop the first Hyro album pull everyone into the fold artists and fans and present a unified front you know, something those loyal fans picked up off major labels and incessant touring could really ra- rally behind. You know, could uh, I remember an interview with uh, Currency, I think it was on Rap Radar, and they asked him about his major label deal because he was only on major for a couple of years. I mean, he was with Young Money at the start. Uh, but he said, I went on a major, gained a bunch of fans using their promotion and marketing budget, got dropped, kept the fans because they love my music, and now I was making money independently, and I feel like that's exactly what Hyro did. Maybe they didn't do it as calculated as Currency did, but it, it worked really well. Now, on the 20th anniversary of this album, uh, Domino wrote, Happy 20th anniversary to Third Eye Vision. This is a very important album for us because it was a get-back-up project after our setback with major labels. As it turned out, getting dropped by Drive and Electra was the best thing that could have happened. This taught us to be resilient and also about controlling the destiny of our art by ownership. It was also a lesson of banding together for a common goal, this album, which at that point was a test of whether we we're going to be a minor footnote in hip-hop or something that was lasting. This album began a dynasty that's only really grown since Dell's work with Gorillaz and Deltron 3030. And Jake Rosenberg, who worked on the album, he called it the family album. And he actually gave a deep insight into the recording process. It's a great article. Um, it's, it's quite long. He just talked about it, just his experience day to day. He said that there were plenty of people in and around the studio and that their down-to-earth tagline is wholly accurate. He did state the recording process was very intense, saying, with Hyro, every word matters. If it was a, a slight slur or a bad pitch, the song was done over until it was right. Often I think we assume Hyro music is made moment to moment. It's it's kind of the vibe you often, I get anyway, from the instrumentals. But obviously, lyrically, they're very thoughtful and deliberate. And the music invites you to pretend the world is infinite and every moment flows on to the next. And the lyrics are far more inviting for self and societal analysis. It makes for quite an odd mix, but it's captured an incredibly wide audience because why wouldn't it? I mean, if you could just put the music on, I, I was first listening to this album, I was washing my car. I was watching it for about an hour, just vibing to the music. And then last night, I put it back on again while I was baking muffins, but because I wasn't really doing anything except mixing, I was listening to the lyrics. I was like, shit, this is a whole different experience. Like, I love albums like that, that you can listen to in different settings and get a different experience from. Rosenberg goes on to call A+, the biggest perfectionist in the group. He said, uh, plus wouldn't quit until it was absolutely perfect. Once he laid down his vocals, he ad-libbed his chorus, then came back into the mix room to see how the sound mixed down. Completely comfortable at the mixing board, A-plus knew exactly what he was doing. And that does really back up something we said on the Souls episode. Um, in press for years, they tried to place A-plus as the leader of Souls of Mischief. And he deflected it every time he could to the point where interviewers nowadays, they don't sneak that undertone into pieces because of A pluses so much of him just being like, no, 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 not me, everyone. But Dell was a superstar, but so was A plus at this point, you know, so was A plus rather than allow those two egos to compete though. There's just harmony. Everyone is accepting of their role and enthused by it. You know, on Hyro albums, I'm not going to lie to you. Dell steals the show for me every time. I adore Dell. I love him. So every time he's on, I'm like, oh, yes, Dell is a Dell verse. But he doesn't ever overstay his welcome. He doesn't dominate albums. He doesn't come in and just be everywhere all the time. Like he, you know, he gives everyone a chance. And I like that. And Hyro didn't just become an extension of Souls and Mistress for Dell. It was something different. And Tajai told Culture Crush, Try and listen to our music in the system. Our music is made more for listening in cars than just a Walkman or a boombox. And when I say our music, hieroglyphics, we have more ride out music. It's like, I'm gonna get on Highway 1 and drive to LA and I've got this new Hyro record. You know, we try to make our shit scenic, still pounding, but not necessarily bass driven all the time. If you think about DJ Toure, he makes blues. Like he and Casual, they, when they make music together, it's blues. Whereas Souls of Mischief were like, jazz fusion so casual to jai and festo then called dell straight up funk they say he's a funk space funk they actually used um pep love they say he's more worldly almost like folk a plus capable of doing anything but the group firmly call their debut album as in souls of mischief they call that jazz fusion and this is different 
And I think it's actually even more impressive Third Eye Vision sounds so smooth considering how many cooks there were in the kitchen. Like A Plus, Casual, Dell, DJ Toure, Domino, JBS, Opio, Festo, they all have production credits. That's madness. That's wild. Everyone you know in the gonna say. it's crazy. Everyone in the group's given a solo song. So that's seven solo tracks out of twenty-two. And as I said, I enjoy it a lot. It's usually a feature of duo albums where each rapper gets a you know a solo song somewhere. But to give all seven, you know, that's wild and pretty unprecedented. And the album did well independently, um, commercially, eighty-eight on the US R&B chart, twenty-six on the US Heat Seekers album chart. It's a solid album. It really is. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. And we get full circle. Yeah, this is um, a little bit of a change, I guess, um, just, but just a just a stoche. And I feel like the uh, reason for that um, is uh, on top of the what you obviously mentioned is that every there's a ton of production cooks in the kitchen, mm-hmm. um, and there's no different here. Um, there's uh, only I think like the only difference is there's no Dell uh, production, um, but there's also the addi- addition of uh, Joseph Amp Fiddler, um, who, uh, for those who don't know, um, significant contributor um, for the likes of uh, George Clinton's Parliament Funkadelic, uh, for, I think, uh, during the 80s and 90s, um, also the band Enchantment. Um, so, yeah, you know, proper proper, proper pedigree right there, right? Um, and that's so now's before, you know, 96. <laughs> so, you know, he's coming into here, uh, with this, it uh, comes through in t- 2003. Some keyboard, vibraphone, piano, bass line as well. Background vocals on a couple of tracks. And I feel like, you know, that was just another, just a just a, just a sprinkle of flavor onto it. Um, I couldn't actually tell you um, what tracks I actually enjoyed from this because I was kind of just uh, doing things while listening to this. Um, but yeah, I feel like this is a, a, a very interesting just a uh, plateau um, that they've created here. Uh, where you know this is solid. It has it's you know it's, it's slightly different from uh from uh, uh third eye vision, but I don't think it's you know a, an extreme departure um from it from from uh, the previous work. Um, so yeah, man, I f- I think it's a pretty pretty freaking uh pretty freaking good album as well. Um, and uh, yeah, consider that two for two. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was yeah a little bit of a departure, but it just felt it felt smooth. It felt like a smooth transition. It felt like they really, yeah, transi- it, it went 155 on the Billboard 200 independently, which is huge. Um, number 10 on the US Independent Albums Chart. And, you know, a lot had happened in that five years between albums. Dell had blown the fuck up. Work with Gorillaz, Clean Eastwood had charted worldwide. He'd also dropped one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time, Deltron 3030. Uh, he'd raised the high profile significantly and they struck, I think, at the perfect time when I would say Dell was right at the maybe the end of his mainstream peak. I think he was just starting to come down a little bit by that point. And I think, you know, they, they actually said this actually this greatly impacted the recording process. As you said, Dell wasn't as involved and he wasn't as involved. He said this to an interview with MV Remix. I was burnt out for three or four years dealing with a lot of personal problems, not really with me, myself, but people around me, having to deal with them. During that time, the rest of Hyro was recording the album. I'd either be on the road or at home trying to get my home life in order. Most of that is done, but right now I'm cool. So after that, I'm gonna get off this road trip, I'll go home and get in there, add my piece, bring what I know about music to the table. In the same interview, he actually kind of dismisses Third Eye Vision, stating that that album was more thrown together than people thought asserting that a lot of the songs were already songs, they simply compiled them, which he contrasted this with Full Circle, saying it was important to sit down and do a proper Hyro album. There's also a really weird cryptic message um, uh, at the end of the interview. The interviewer asks Dell if he has any final thoughts, and Dell asserts that he will never compromise himself just to sell records. And it came in the middle of a wider criticism of the divide between underground and mainstream, what the definitions are, how artists are treated when they're considered either one or the other. And possibly Dell had tasted the mainstream side and didn't find it palatable, or maybe he felt his mainstream success 
owned him the ire of his underground fan base is difficult to tell but Dell did not handle any of the production himself on this record um at least obviously according to the song credits on genius we get an abstract rude feature something i'm always down for and you know i, I it's another solid album i do agree with the majority of people who have compared hyro to souls saying that Hyro is a slightly heavier version. The drums hit a little bit harder. And I think that's an accurate description. Yeah. Um, you know, they likely knew this album was going to be basking in the sun of the mainstream of Dell's exploits. And Casual actually told an interviewer, Todd E. Jones, that the recording process was really difficult trying to get everyone in one place at one time to record. And I, I think that's probably a reference to Dell. The interviewer asked, Did you do any production on the new Hyro album? And Casual responds, yeah, but it's taking a while because it's hard to get everyone in one place. So I felt that was like an odd juxtaposition with Dell saying, oh yeah, the first album was kind of thrown together, but this album was really sat down. Whereas Casuals being like, well, this album was really hard to make. The first album was actually quite easy. Like it's it's just odd. Maybe there was a little bit of discord between them. Um, I kind of took that, yeah, to link up why, yeah, Casual stepped up in that moment and there was a bit of criticism of the sound. Some say it was leaning a bit too far into the mainstream with keyboard-driven beats. But look, you know you know me, I absolutely adore early 2000s production. I did not, listening to it, I wasn't like, oh yeah, they're trying to chase them. I did not feel that at all. And we've said it countless times on this pod of albums where we're like, why did you try and make a fucking Trackmasters album? Why did you try and make a Neptunes album? You know what I mean? They, I didn't feel like they did that on this album. I did not feel that. I felt like lyrically they were still on point. The flows were great. I started to get more of an understanding of each individual artist's sound and, and vocal presence. Opio is one that I really gravitated back towards a lot. There was a lot of storytelling on this album as well. Um, no, it's good, man. It, it's good. It's it's a warm, solid album. It's not something I think I would go back to regularly, but in terms of if if you've already got that fan base, by this stage of, what, 2004, you know, Hyro had been a thing for 13 years, and Dell, Souls, Casual, they'd all dropped solo albums. So, yeah, I think this was a, a nice extension of their first album. It didn't feel too much, too challenging. It wasn't too different, but it did feel a little bit harder and a little bit more updated than their debut the funny thing um, you said uh, previously was um, they kind of have a if you know you know aspect to them mm-hmm. and I put that in description notes and uh, it's it's so true honestly and uh, I was while you were talking I was trying to think of like um, when did the hip hop middle class actually begin to exist um, and I don't know the answer, but um, I feel like at that time, especially in 03 and that, around that time, there was a very, I think, significant divide between like the underground and, excuse me, and the mainstream. Whereas now you can have, you know, some, you can have people reaching, you know, just uh, mixing in with each other. You can have like an underground artist working with a mainstream artist. And, and obviously the plenty of, layers that the middle class of hip-hop has now um like you know is jpeg mafia middle class i mean <laughs> when the jewels went top 10 with their last album like right yeah you know i mean yeah so would that have uh, happened in 95 probably not you know right exactly um and i i, I feel i feel hieroglyphics is still like at the still just at the precipice of a middle class but still underground because of that if you know you know aspect to them but then again, as we get to the kitchen, um, they still have, you know, their peers fuck with them, right? And I get and that's and that's clear from uh, the many times over history, uh, over hip hop history, where you know you just see people randomly wearing hyro gear. Um, it's a ge- yeah, it's a genuine if you know you know kind of uh, kind of thing going on. Uh, but yeah, the kitchen. I don't know how I feel about that merch. I I don't know. Whether it's like really, like just smart or just really really kind of cringe, um, I, I'm I'm on the fence. I don't know how I feel about it. The fact it's right in the middle of the album as well. It's just unavoidable. Um, it's I, a, I just, it's an odd song. Like, they literally just are they literally just advertising the fact that they have merch. It's that's literally just the whole track. Great merch. In oh fact. gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, it's a it's a solid dam as well. Um, and 
you know, you, you like Opio, you, you get Opio production here. I, th- I think he like produces like, at least half the album. Um, so there you go, as, as you'll feel. Uh, but yeah, you know, some good stuff in here. All above, uh, all as above, so below is probably my favorite of the bunch. Um, I really just like the hook on that. Um, just a really nice vibe. Um, and I feel the uh, there was like this element of 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 like scratching, but not in the kind of like DJ premiere type thing, right? Uh, it's kind is is different. I can't explain it. Um, but I, I think it added definitely to that, uh, to that crunchiness, um, that the production has been having, um, especially in the latter two albums. I feel like they, you know, just, just, they just, they just put it up by one, you know what I mean? Not too much. Uh, they just, they just turned the crunchiness up by one. Um, so instead of like a, instead of like a cracker, uh, you got like a, uh, I don't know. You got like a you got like a cookie. You know what I mean? Just, just a little bit more crunch on that. Um, so uh, for for those that I don't know, dragon cookies have more crunch. For those, on, for, for those that, I mean, kitchen, bro. I'm, oh God, my brain, my brain's on galaxy right now. That's crazy. I, I, I'm talking about cookie cracker uh, metaphors in when talking about the kitchen. I'm cooking right now. I'm Tell you what, man. Charlie, get me off this stove right now. I'm, Charlie's playing I'm, I'm on a hibachi. hole. I'm hibachi. I'm hibachi right now. I'm I'm, I'm flaming. I'm I'm throwing flames up. Like it's crazy. Charlie's on being on a whole other level that I don't even understand. I'm not sure what level he's on, I'm but hibachi, it's not level. I'm, I'm hibachi level right now. I'm it's hibachi level. level. I've never been on hibachi level. I actually had to Google what a hibachi was a couple of days ago because <laughs> it's not a term we use in Australia, and they use it. I've been rewatching Friends, and they were talking about hibachi. I'm like, what the frick is a hibachi? And now I know. So now I understand. I, I want to hit one. I haven't hit one before. I want to hit one. It was cool. The kitchen. The kitchen. Um, ten years passed between higher projects, but. The group was only excelling in this time. Dell was dropping regular projects. He headed back into the underground after fame didn't quite feel comfortable for him in the early 2000s. Souls of Mischief dropped another project and it actually charted outside of the independent chart. The collective coming back together never seemed like a certain thing. The album was teased and alluded to in various interviews, which always happens. It just happens in general. Collective, solo artists, everyone just like, oh, is the album dropping? But it did drop 2013. They basically did no press, none that I can find. Um, I'm sure there's something somewhere, maybe a print interview, maybe. It was 2013. Like it, You would expect there to be hundreds of interviews, but there just wasn't. The group enlisted DJ Crew, the Sleep Rockers, to help put the album together. And we're not talking about a Calvin Harris DJ set in 2013. I mean, like proper hip-hop DJs. They have production and editing and mixing credits. Dell produced two tracks, Opio, as Charlie said, eight. A-plus only gets one. And I think that showed how the roles were changing. Again, I, I like that. I like that about this particular collective because it's a genuine collective. It's a group. It's a collective. This it's a rolling roster. People come in, they go away. You know, Dell was prominent on the debut, but he hasn't really been prominent since then. A plus prominent on the debut, but was less prominent as time progressed. You know, it, it's a very solid album. It doesn't stray too far from their sound. It did include a lot of socially conscious content, but at times it was quite carefree. I love that about Souls and Hyrule albums. I believe it's important in great electronic music too. You know, you can put it out and zone zone out to it, or you could listen to it closely. And both experiences are totally different, but it works on both those levels. I think Hyrule is similar. If you just want to chill out and relax, you know, you can switch your mind off and enjoy the funk and the jazz and the, the smoothness of it. But if you switch back on, lyrically, there's always something exciting happening whether it's the content being on the cutting edge of emotional depth in mainstream hip-hop or socially conscious, or it's the wild flows, internal rhymes and multis, the emceeing trickery of the masters of their craft. And that's why I think that that merch was just an odd... You know, I'm not against it because I feel like it was a... I don't know, maybe it was a, a, a reply to people who rap about selling drugs all the time. You know, in this they're selling... We're rap, we're selling merch. But it, it's different. Like, it, it, you know, and I... Yeah, it was an odd. It it stuck out. It, it's the only real song that stuck out to me in their entire discography. Where I was like, "Oh, that's different. That's a bit odd. I don't know how I feel about that." You know, um, and you know, look, I'll I'll end on this because Hyro they grew from a success story that anyone could imitate to a group of supreme stature who held within it all the ingredients to make something unique and lasting. With Souls and Dell and Casual doing the heavy lifting commercially in the nineties. The collective could kind of sit back and enjoy their profile being raised. And when it came time to create music, 
The whole collective ensured the sound of the group was never compromised. Consistency had gotten Dell and Souls to commercial peaks, and consistency would be the Hiro motto. motto. You know, touring, merch, music, just doing it over and over again. Immortal Technique, obviously, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about him saying success is easy to achieve, but incredibly difficult to maintain. It takes hard work and grind. It's not flashy or exciting. And Hyro became underground legends through consistency and hard work, two things you need if you want to succeed at pretty much anything worth having. And their sound was, you know, it was great. It, it wasn't particularly revolutionary, but they could bridge the gap between the coasts and introduce emotional intelligence into their music at a time when G-Funk really offered up, offered up the opposite. Uh, this was entirely new. But rather than rest on that introduction, the collective pushed and grew and they filtered off to do solo work, drop classics, all those achievements filter back to the collective. And, you know, I'd never really heard of them before we started talking about souls. I didn't know much. It's, it's again, it's a perfect example of if you know, you know, and I did not know. I knew about Souls of Mischief, but I never really listened to them. Obviously, I know about Dell and I love him. But yeah, I never really understood much about hieroglyphics. I didn't really know anything about them, but... When you dive into their story, you realize that there are hundreds of thousands, millions of people who are devoted to this group, and that's how they've kept it. It's, it's really maybe a bit of a unique story in hip-hop in that they've kept it contained, but they have such a strong core fan base that they'll just continue to make money in perpetuity. So, yeah, shout out, Hyro. Oh, well, I can hear the... Uh... I could hear the uh, Tech Nine uh, Strange fans uh, getting at you on uh, DMs after this episode. That's so. a different app. We've never done Tech Nine, have we? No, we haven't. We're not going to do Tech Nine. Uh, like a- in the same way as uh, I do with uh, every TV show, film, album that someone begs me to watch, I provide them with the answer. It's on the list. We shall leave it there with no context and no explanation. So we'd like a note if you have anything there. Uh, do I have anything this week? No, not really. Nothing really interesting has happened to me this week. It's been a pretty boring week. Uh, he's holding on to the lighter note for next episode. We have to. We, it's not a lighter note. It's heavy. He, he's holding on. <laughs> I was coming in here he's ready to talk about life. it. And he's then holding I'm like, on for dear life. You're just going to have to wait, ladies and gentlemen. You're just going to wait. Go wait. There's something very intense coming. Something very intense, but we can't do it this week. You're going to have to trust. You're going to have to trust us on it. Uh, He's he's holding it in. He's he's holding it Oh, fucking hell. That's funny. Something Um, very interesting happened to both of us this week, but we're not going to talk about it right now. We're going to talk about (laughs) it later. uh, I mean... uh, uh, I mean, he's talking about one thing. Uh, I, the other thing for me is that uh, I'm a godfather now. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Big W. That's my boy D and uh, and his girl Mary. Um, finding out they're you. And um, oh, I was over there the other day, and uh, he put the baby on me, and the baby was just like clearly just wanted some tea, right? Just um, so just kind of. Can't, can't just pure instinct just like leaning forward and trying to find something right <laughs> just but also cross-eyed as hell and just breathing really just intensely bro they breathe so <laughs> fast man they're like <laughs> i'm like you dying like, what like, do i do i was just like bro chill man like relax it's cool you'll get you- the milk is coming trust give me a minute give them a minute like <laughs> Oh god, it was like really weird. Like, it was uh, just, just, just him reacting like just so viscerally. Just, I need milk. Just leading forward onto me. Where's the milk? <laughs> and then just like, <laughs> and then backing up to try and like locate where could the milk be, and then moving forward again, just, like uh, onto my chest. It's like, is the milk here? Oh my gosh, it was, yeah, and, and the cross eyed nature was freaking me out. And the, yeah, it's just a breathing, man. It's just a breathe for your nose, man. Just, uh, the amount of the. When I, when I was like, um, I think there's a time in life where I feel everyone should just, just, just breathe for your nose, man. Like in, in any circumstance, just breathe for your nose. It's, it, it helps. <laughs> it literally is what people should do. And I feel like, you know, unless you're talking, 
you really should be breathing out your nose as much as possible. Um, I feel you know it's just a just a baseline health benefit that breathing through your nose does wonders, right? What's wrong you know with breathing I mean? through it's, your it's, mouth? Essentially, like the whole essentially the whole foundation of yoga and plenty of other Buddhism, like plenty of other you know East, East Asian um, uh, 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 ways of li- ways of living. Breathing, right? Breathe through your nose, out through your mouth. That's just you know, it it, it keeps it keeps you calm, like it keeps your heart rate down, all that shit. Like, and there's plenty of other benefits. And then I'm watching like a newborn just going, <laughs> bro, it keeps going like that for a long time, genuinely, <laughs> like months and months. It makes you so uncomfortable. It makes you so uncomfortable. But um, yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, I. I I'll, I'll I'll give him I'll give him some leeway. You know, he's been alive like what, less than a week, so um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give him the I'll give him the the leeway. But it was just it was just a it was the first time having a newborn just sit, sat on my chest and just uh, just not reacting to me, just clearly instinctively wanting something, and I can't provide that right now. You're gonna have to wait a couple minutes until your dad comes through with the bottle. You know what I mean? It's, 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 you just have to wait. I'll tell what to tell you. Um, but yeah, that was an um, interesting experience. Um, yeah, one of one of many, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, man. Yeah, very. Um, just I, I kind of just want to skip to an age where I can actually talk to him. You know what I mean? And just like drop knowledge and just like bang tunes and just, like you 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 ain't heard this before, have you? I'm about to teach you something. You know what I mean? Just shit like that. But um, yeah. Gonna, it's gonna it's gonna take a while but um, it does it takes a long time and it takes a long time for them to react to you like but but it just things happen so quickly so randomly like one you know some nothing will change for three months and then you'll go see them and all of a sudden they'll be totally lucid and watching you and like engage with you for the first three months they're just sitting there just like they've got no idea but that like it just keeps going and I always felt that way too. I was like, I hope my nephew gets to a point where I can converse with him. But now we're at a point where we can converse with each other. And I'm like, that whole experience all the way up to there was really great. Like, it's just, it's it's unique. You know, is that so many people have had that experience in life. Obviously, my parents have, your parents have, everyone has. But when you have it for the first time... It's fascinating. It's like nothing you ever experienced before. It's just unbelievable. When you're in like in charge of a child that young, you you have so much responsibility. It's it's an invigorating feeling. Like you feel like I'm an adult. Like people give me this responsibility to keep their child safe. But at the same time, it's quite overwhelming because you're like, if I don't not concentrating and not, you know, on top of it, then you know, shit could go wrong. So yeah, it's it's a very interesting experience. I'm I'm excited to see how it goes as as a boy or a girl. Uh, it's a boy. Boy, as he gets older. Call him. I call him LD, little Damien. You learn uh, dumb. Well, you learn well, not well, to do. LD. When they start mimicking you, that's like the greatest fucking feeling ever. Like genuinely, you just <laughs> it melts your fucking heart. Like I did something really dumb yeah. with my nephew. I was trying to teach him how to juggle, and I had like these wooden like he has wooden eggs so you like twist them and they come apart so i'm juggling them right and he's so excited by them like, this is great so i put them down what does he do he immediately picks all three of them up and just throws them straight up into the air they crash on the roof they smash i'm like oh sh-. so many things i've done i'm like oh whoops i shouldn't have done that because then he immediately does them so nah man i'm excited for you i love it it's been a fascinating journey so i'm excited for you to go through it. it's gonna be cool yeah, let's just um, let's just go ahead and skip to where I can lament on capitalism, and uh, he can take it. Wholesale. That's trek, bro. Um, that's that's good. You got a good twelve, thirteen <laughs> years before that's gonna happen. Yeah, I know, but it's 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 just all culminated to that day, man. Just all We're all raising little man. socialists over it's here, like, bro. I don't want to work, man. I'm just like. Let me tell you, you have another capitalism, have you? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Pull up a chair. I've got a story for to tell you, and it's going to ruin your <laughs> worldview, and it's going to make you a yes, cynic. Sir. <laughs> yeah, sir. You are. You are. <laughs> but I'm just going to literally just grow up in a fucking climate hellscape, and we're yes. just going to have to explain how it happened. <laughs> yep. Oh, it's not how our fault, though. Here? At least we well, don't have to say it's our fault, you know. It's <laughs> well, the grandparents' fault. years ago... 
120 or so years ago, um, there was this thing called the Industrial Revolution, and that was the end. And uh, and a lot and uh, only a few people got mad rich on it. And uh, basically, yeah, they just uh, throughout the 20th century, they just um, they just used whatever the fuck they wanted, and they didn't give a shit about any repercussions. And then uh, some oil lobbies learn about climate change in the 80s. And then they spent 20 years keeping it under wraps. And then they actually started using it for greenwashing. Oh, gosh. It's going oh, to be great. It's going to be great to to tell him the ills of the world and wider society. Absolutely outstanding. Can't wait to drop bars. <laughs> All right. We've made an hour. Ladies and gentlemen, we shall leave it there. I didn't, we didn't mean to do that. I just thought it was a shame. But anyway, it, it's literally just made it now. Did so we? I'll go for that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that. Uh, from the 5 EPN, it's been Digging Digits. I've enjoyed this episode. I'm Charles Taylor with Fifth Amendment. I'm Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. We hope you all have a good week. Wish I was trying to do the same. But until next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the shows, peace and video games, but bonus points. Thanks to Chill Music for the ability to use. Socials for Fellerman, Hip Hop by Numbers, bonus points to Chill Music, all in the full show notes, as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever listening. This has been a 5 EP in production. Thanks for spending time with us. I shall see you next time on Digging in the Digits.